I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Okay, folks, James chapter 2. Last two verses of James 2. For the message entitled, Messy Faith. Messy Faith. James 2, verse 25. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Some stories in the Bible don't quite fit. This is one of them. Daniel in the lion's den fits. Rahab the harlot, not so well. We admire David for killing Goliath. We're not so sure about Rahab telling a lie. We teach our children to sing, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I don't know any songs about Rahab. And yet, Rahab hid the spies and sent them on their way. That meant Joshua got the crucial information he needed. She ended up saving her whole family. She gave birth to a son named Boaz who married Ruth. She was David's, King David, David's great-great-grandmother. She shows up in Matthew 1 as part of Jesus' genealogy. She made it to the hall of fame of faith. In Hebrews 11, she becomes an example of living faith in James 2. Did I mention she was a prostitute and a liar? Faith can be messy at times. True faith is rarely as neat or as clean as we make it out to be on Sunday morning. Real faith is always mixed with very human imperfections. If you doubt that, if you doubt that, just look in the mirror. You have faith, or at least you try to have faith, and you muddle through as best you can. How close to perfection are you? That's my point. Though Rahab was far from perfect, her name shows up in an honorable way in the Bible. Messy faith is better than no faith at all. Let's start there as we think about Rahab. What can we learn from her story? Number one, we learn from her story, faith can be found in unlikely places. Unlikely places. Rahab had at least four things going against her. Against her. Number one, first, she was a Gentile. That meant she had no part in the covenant God made with Israel. To use New Testament terminology, she was a foreigner to the grace of God, literally and spiritually. She had no connection to the promise God gave to Abraham and to his descendants. She starts this story as a complete outsider. Second, she was a woman. That meant she had little legal protection and no real standing in her society. Third, she was a pagan. She had been raised with idol worship 
common to all the Canaanites. She had no knowledge of the Torah and thus no understanding of the sacrificial system. Fourth and finally, she was a harlot. That word refers to a woman who sells her body for sexual uses. It is sometimes translated not as harlot, but as prostitute. That's okay too. We have a variety of words in the English language to describe what has been called the world's oldest profession. But they all go back to the same place. Rahab sold her body for money. There's no need to cover it up or to pretend it means something less offensive. In fact, it's important for this story that we know the truth. Rahab might seem to be the last person in whom you would find saving faith. But that judgment, which church people make almost without thinking about it, reveals how little we understand about the grace of God. A woman guilty of repeated sexual sin might not seem to be a good candidate for salvation, but appearances are often deceiving. Not every church member is as righteous as they appear on Sunday morning. And not every sinner is as far from the kingdom as we sometimes assume. Though Rahab did not realize it, the Holy Spirit had been working in her heart, preparing her for the moment when the spies would show up at her door. There is a lesson here if we will only pay attention to it. So, if you're you're taking notes, write down this sentence. God has his people everywhere everywhere, even in the most unlikely places. You wouldn't think a, quote, fallen woman in Jericho would end up in Hebrews 11, but that's exactly what happened. Let me put it this way, because I need to remind myself of the grace of God. So I just analyze, I just analyze the Bible, the world, and myself. And I conclude as follows. God often saves people I wouldn't save if I were God, which is yet one more reason why I'm glad he's God and I'm not. My grace, my grace in and of myself, has definite limits. His does not. He will save the most notorious sinner who turns to him. That even includes self-righteous church people like me. As Philip Yancey uh, points out when we read a story like this about Rahab, we like to, we church people, we like to say it this way. We like to say there's grace even for people like Rahab. But do you understand when we say there's grace even for people like Rahab, we have unconsciously put ourselves in a different category as if we are somehow morally superior to them. The real truth is there is grace even for people like Ray Pritchard. That's my plan, by the way. The grace of God for people like me. It's the only way I'm ever going to get into heaven. Here's the second thing we learn from Rahab's story, which is this. Faith not only shows up in unusual places to unlikely people, it shows itself in unusual ways. We find the heart of Rahab's story, 
Not in James, not in Hebrews, but the story. Heart of the story is found back in Joshua 2. In fact, her story is in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6. But the, the heart of it, the beginning of it, Josh, is Joshua 2. As the Jews entered the promised land, the great walled city of Jericho stood directly in their path. There was no way around it. If the, if the Jews were going to conquer the promised land, they couldn't bypass it. They had to go through Jericho. Those walls somehow had to come tumbling down. They could never live in the land unless they somehow conquered Jericho with its system of double walls that repelled all invaders. So, General Joshua decided to send out two men to enter the city surreptitiously and to spy out the situation. When those two men entered the city, they made their way to Rahab's house. Now, because she was a prostitute, it wouldn't have been unusual to see men coming and going at all hours of the day or night. But they were not as discreet as they thought. Someone saw them, realized, hey, those guys are not from around here, and reported them to the king. He sent a message to Rahab ordering her to turn over the spies. Got it? King of Jericho sends the message to Rahab. I know you got those guys in there. Turn them over to me. But she lied to the king. Don't sugarcoat that. She lied to the king. She deceived him. She sent word that the men had already left the city, and she didn't know where they had gone. That wasn't true. Instead, she hid them among the stalks of flax on the roof, flax on the roof. Believing Rahab's lie, the king sent soldiers on a fruitless chase into the surrounding countryside. Meanwhile, while the chase is going on, back at Rahab's house, Rahab talks to the two spies, and she gives a marvelous, powerful statement of her faith to the two spies still hiding in her house. First, she declared that God had given them the land. That's Joshua 2.8. Second, she said that fear had fallen on the city, Joshua 2.9. Third, she recounted the miracles God had done at the Red Sea, Joshua 2.10. Fourth, she declared her faith in the sovereignty of Israel's God. The heart of her confession comes in Joshua 2.11. She said to them, The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. By saying those words, she was cutting her ties to the idolatrous pagan worship, the Canaanite worship of the people of Jericho. She was casting her lot with the people of God. Fifth, she asked that her family be spared during the coming invasion. Joshua 2, 12 and 13. Now, the rest of the chapter simply tells us how the spies agreed to her request, how she hid them, and sent them out of the city of Jericho with specific instructions on how to avoid the king's soldiers. Eventually, the spies made it back to their lines and reported to Joshua that the whole land was filled with, with fear. So, and just stop right here. That part of the story we know. So, this story is quoted. It's applied one way in Hebrews 11. It's applied another way in James 2. Was not Rahab the harlot justified by faith when she hid the spies and sent them out the other way? Now, what kind of faith is this? Because you're going to say in the next verse that uh, faith without works is dead. The The only real faith is living faith, faith that acts. Look, Rahab's faith did not involve what we would call religious acts. 
Sometimes we read James 2, especially with faith without works is dead and the great theological debate. And we think that the works he is calling for start and end with religious habits, such as Bible reading, prayer, church attendance, giving, evangelism, and so on. Now, all of those things are absolutely vital for a growing Christian life. But Rahab's example shows us James is thinking about things like kindness, generosity, hospitality, and caring for those in need. In that sense, it's perfectly consistent with the earlier sermons I preached in this series. It's perfectly consistent with visiting the, 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 the fatherless and the widows in their need and giving food and drink to, to, to struggling and suffering brothers and sisters. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that Rahab said a prayer, learned the Torah, or offered a sacrifice. I am sure she did that later when she joined the people of God, but it's never mentioned. Rahab was a hero because of her non-religious acts. She heard the truth about God. She believed it. She testified to it. And that faith led her to act courageously in the face, face of great danger. Now, she hid the spies. She lied about it and then sent them out secretly. Whenever you go to seminary or Bible college or Bible school, you take a course on Old Testament, especially Old Testament problems or Old Testament ethics. You'll write a paper about Rahab. You'll, you'll work through all the morality of what she did, right? I'll leave that to you to work that out. We may debate the morality of her lie, and I do think that's a useful conversation to have. But neither James 2 nor Hebrews 11 raises that issue in a moment of great crisis she became, this is really the bigger issue right here. She became a traitor to her own people, and she joined the people of God. You see, if she had been discovered hiding the spies, she would have been immediately put to death as a traitor. Debating about her lie is a luxury that we have 3,500 years later. In the most important moment of her life, she didn't hesitate and she didn't debate anything. She took her stand for the Lord. She protected his people. She made provision for her whole family. She risked everything in the process. And that is why James lifts her up as an example of living faith. Her faith was not dead. It was very much alive. Rahab wasn't the only one, watch this, she wasn't the only one in Jericho who knew about the approaching Jewish army. In fact, she says to the men, the whole, the whole city, the whole land is, we're, we're all up in arms. There was general knowledge. The Jews are coming. And, and, and the people knew about the miracle at the Red Sea and the, and the destruction of the Egyptian army. I mean, word had spread. The entire land heard the news. Everybody's in a state of panic. You see, essentially, they knew, essentially, what Rahab did, but did nothing about it. The Canaanites were like the demons who believe and shudder. Only Rahab had true faith that moved her to action. God bless Rahab. God bless her. We could use a few more courageous believers like her. There's one more lesson we can learn from her life. This is number three. Faith not only reaches unexpected people or unusual people, faith not only shows up in unusual ways, faith here receives an unexpected reward. 
we can list the results of her faith this way. First, she was justified. This means God declared her righteous. James 2.25 says she was justified by works. But don't be confused by that. Her faith in God, as simple and uninformed as it was, her faith led her to take action. We can just as easily say Rahab was justified by faith because her faith was so alive, she risked everything to save the spies, herself and her family. Second, text says, now this is not Joshua 2, this is Joshua 6. She was spared when the battle came. Now, we all know, don't we, how Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. We know that. We learned that song when we were kids. We know how the Jews marched around the city for seven days and how the walls came a-tumbling down. But Joshua 6.25 adds to this detail. Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, her father's household, and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent to spy on Jericho. And he even says she lives in Israel to this day. At God's command, the city was totally destroyed and everyone in it put to death. Everyone that is, except Rahab and her family. Her faith saved her whole family. Third, she was added to the nation of Israel. As a result of her heroism, a Gentile woman, a Canaanite who'd been a prostitute, was added to the people of God. And she lived among the Jews for the rest of her life. Fourth, she was included in the line of Christ. Matthew 1 contains a genealogy. It starts with Abraham and ends with Jesus. But here's Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. Salmon fathered, or if you want to say begat, the old-fashioned way, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. Now, we don't know too much about this fellow Salmon, except that he married Rahab. Now, some people think Salmon was one of those two spies who came into the city. It could be true. Maybe so. I mean, you know, if you meet your, uh, if, if you meet your future wife while you're spying on an enemy city, I mean, that'd be like the Old Testament equivalent of meeting somebody on eHarmony today, you know? It could happen. It could happen. Now, it, it might be true. We don't know. Bible doesn't tell us any more about Salmon. But what matters is this. Rahab not only left her life of sin, she married a godly man and gave him a very godly son named Boaz. You can read his story in the book of Ruth. If you follow the genealogy on down, it means Rahab, the former prostitute, became the great, great grandmother of King David, greatest king in Israel's history. A thousand years later, Jesus was born. Rahab is part of Jesus' family tree. If you know Jesus, one day you'll meet Rahab in heaven. And there at last, she will be no more Rahab the harlot. She will ever be known as Rahab, the child of God. Fifth, she was honored as a woman of faith. We've already said what, seen what James said about her, but don't forget Hebrews 11.31. By faith, Rahab the prostitute received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who 
disobeyed. She not only made the book, she's listed along with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and all the other great heroes of Israel. Both James and Hebrews note that she was a prostitute. Did they do this to shame her? No. They did this to magnify her faith, thus showing that no one is beyond the grace of God. Now, here are my last moments. I just want to say something about last night's message and this one. It's very interesting to me that as James comes to the end of this major section of the book, his last two illustrations are Abraham, who offered Isaac, we talked about that last night, and Rahab, the harlot. Why did you choose those two? Abraham's easy to understand. Rahab, not so much. Perhaps James wanted to pick examples at the extreme. One was a man, the other a woman. One was a Jew, the other was a Gentile. One was a revered patriarch. The other, a redeemed prostitute. One was ready to sacrifice his son. The other hid the spies. Though different in many ways and separated from each other by hundreds of years, they had this in common. What they did, they did by faith. Abraham offered Isaac. Rahab hid the spies. Both events were largely hidden from public view. Only Abraham and Isaac knew what happened on Mount Moriah. Rahab hid the spies and sent them off in another direction so they wouldn't be caught. Neither knew the outcome of their faith before they acted. Abraham didn't know about the ram in the thicket when he raised the knife. Rahab wasn't expecting Jewish spies to drop by for a visit. But both of them, a man and a woman, both of them were heroes in the eyes of God. What then can we learn from all of this? Two lessons. Number one, you never know when the test will come. You never know when the test will come. Abraham couldn't have foreseen what God wanted when he told him to take his son and go to the region of Moriah. Likewise, when Rahab awoke that day in Jericho, she had no inkling that the two men were about to show up who would change her life forever. We all have our own lives planned out. We think we know what we're going to do this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow. Or I mean, I've got my plans. You've got yours. We all know, don't we? Um, what does it take to change your life forever? Just one phone call, right? Just one phone call with the right or wrong kind of news. Change the course of your life forever. You never know when the test will come. That's one thing. Number two, living by faith is always risky business. Please get this. Living by faith is always risky business. It's not as if Rahab thought, if I hide these spies, I can become David's great-great-grandmother. Or I'm going to be in Messiah's line. Life doesn't work like that. She probably never lived to meet David. She certainly never read Matthew 1. She simply did what she did and ended up saving her whole family and all the other blessings accrued to her. When I read this story, I'm reminded of uh, Todd Beamer, the other heroes of Flight 93 on September 11, 9-11. That morning, the passengers boarded the flight in Newark expecting an uneventful 
flight to California, but fate intervened in the form of terrorists who took over the plane. Then came the split-second decision and the declaration, are you ready? Let's roll. You never know when the test will come. You won't have a lot of time to decide. You can't foresee the results in advance. True faith, trust God, takes action, and leaves the results in his hands. That's kind of like a summary of this whole week. True faith, trust God, takes action, and leaves the results in his hands. So we're left with the story of Rahab. It's rare to meet someone with that name. It's almost as if Harlot is her last name. But in the eyes of God, Rahab is an honorable name. She was a Gentile, but she made the book. She was a Canaanite, but she made the book. She was a prostitute, but she made the book. She made the book precisely because she was a woman of faith. Her past did not define her future. I cannot end this sermon without remarking on the miracle of God's grace. The Canaanites built a thick wall around Jericho to keep people out. But no wall can keep God out. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. Even in the midst of judgment, God reaches out and saves a harlot who turns to him in faith. But think of all the men she had slept with. Think of all that sin. Think of her stained reputation. Think of her past. God says, I know all about her past, and it doesn't matter because she believed in me. Not that sexual sin doesn't matter. It matters greatly. After all, she's still called Rahab the harlot, but she is free now and forgiven, and she's on the road to heaven. So what's your sin? You may be listening to this sermon, and right now you feel unworthy to go to heaven. If so, if so, I have wonderful news for you. Only unworthy people go to heaven. That's all who qualifies. If you think you're worthy, you will never get in. The people who think they're worthy end up in hell. So if you've been sleeping around or messing around or fooling around, or just like most of humanity, making one stupid mistake after another, I've got good news for you. Your sin makes you an excellent candidate for salvation. Remember, if God can save Rahab, he can save anyone. That includes you. It certainly includes me. And just for the record, I'd rather be Rahab the harlot on my way to heaven than Sally the Sunday school teacher headed for hell. We started out talking about messy faith. That certainly describes Rahab, and it describes the rest of us too. I was doing a radio interview a few years ago, and it's about one of my books, and it was going really well. Then all of a sudden, the interviewer jumped off script. And without any warning, he just asked me something that wasn't on the list of prepared questions. He said, I want to know something. How come there's so many messed up people in the Bible? And I replied, only thing I could think of, because that's all he's got to work with. All the perfect people are up in heaven. So let me end by calling to mind
One sentence from a familiar gospel song we already sang this morning. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. How true it is. Rahab proves it. And you can prove it too by coming to Christ right now. Don't let your past keep you away. Come to Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be saved. And your life will never be the same. Now when the old time preachers, old time preachers would give an invitation, music would start. And they would say, won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? Let me make that same invitation to you right now. Won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? We started on Sunday night in this series, Letter to the 21st Century, trying to think about what would the earliest Christians say to us today? I don't know about you. This has been an amazing journey for me this week. How amazingly relevant these ancient words of the Bible are. They speak directly to us in the 21st century. What have we learned? What would the first Christians say to us? Listen more, talk less, calm down, repent, and receive the Word of God. Talk less, care more, keep clean. Don't play favorites in the church. Don't just talk about your faith. Live it. Trust in Christ and Christ alone. Hold lightly what you value greatly it all belongs to god anyway and the last stop on our journey magnify magnify the grace of god because that's the only way anyone gets to heaven on sunday night i told you that i thought we should revisit the little book of james to see what it says for such a time as this We are in a crisis. I told you that Sunday night. And absolutely nothing has happened this week to change my judgment. And some things have happened that clearly prove how much trouble we are in. In crisis moments, when no one knows what will happen tomorrow, we need to hear a clear word from the Lord. I think we've heard it. You have heard it. Now, go out and do it. You have listened Now go and live it out. My friends, don't waste these messages. Put them to work in your own life. Our world is dying. Our world is falling apart. All the foundations are crumbling. I'm quite sure hard times are coming, difficult days. All that's going to do is return us back to the situation of the first century. You know what I think? I think the world could care less about our religiosity. I think the world could care less about what denominational tag we put on the name of our church. I think the world is waiting for Christians who mean what they say and prove their faith by the way they live. Or maybe we can just say it Like Ruth Graham said it, a saint 
is a person who makes it easy to believe in Jesus. So saints, saints, saints of God, go out and live what you believe and you will make it easy for others to believe in Jesus too. Let's pray. Lord, take now the words that have been spoken, the words that have been preached, the messages given. Go inside each heart. Oh God, make us hearers and doers, good listeners, slower to speak. Help us to care more. Help us to show our faith in the way we live. And Lord, help us to live so that it's easy for others to believe in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.